Hello, welcome back to part two of the Perpetual Outsider podcast for Horror Fang Rock. Uh, your guide, as ever, is John Bensalia. That's me. Hello and welcome. So without further ado, let's gear up part two in five, four, three, two, one. Go! I command you. Yes, here we are. Thank you. Part two of Horror Fang Rock. This went out on the 10th of September 1977. Ah, oh, my third birthday. One of the very few Doctor Who episodes to be broadcast on my birthday. Um, yeah, the other, the only other one I think is the girl who waited, which uh, which was transmitted in sometime later when I was a little bit older. But um, yeah, yeah, this was um, those are the only two. I mean, the Smugglers were broadcast on. September 10th in 1966, but uh, even I'm too young for that. <laughs> so here we go with the reprise from uh, part part one with the ship uh, containing Palmerdale and his crew about to crash onto the rocks. I wonder if um, Annette Woolley actually wanted um, a credit because you can very... Actually, and Sean Caffrey as well, because you can audibly hear their voices. Palmdale was saying, steer the boat, and uh, Adelaide is screaming as usual. For, not for the first, uh, for the first and by no means the last time. Here we are with that clumsy shot again. But uh, just close your eyes. I mean, if, if you're really watching Doctor Who for the special effects, you are watching the wrong show, my friend. You really are. He's stuck. Oh, <laughs> I like that. But we'll all die then. Yeah, great. <laughs> Never mind. Thanks, Leela. Bit of compassion there. She's just so really blunt and to the point. You know, she's got no no concept of social skills whatsoever. Yeah, Louis, Louise Jameson. What, what a blessing to have an actress like Louise Jameson on this. Just the little choices she makes. Like there, when she does this real kind of scowling face. Um, uh, you know, being left behind by the doctrine uh, Vince and Ruben go off to find the survivors. And she just pulls a face like, you know, a really scowling toddler. I think I read somewhere that, you know, she was a cross between a, um, a toddler and a, and a beagle or something. I'm not sure. And of course, now she's happy as Larry. She's just really, really getting into, you know, again, it's very kind of childlike. And it's such a wonderful choice. You know, that great big beaming smile on her face it's, it's it's just wonderful wonderful you know a wonderful actress to have on the show i like that bit of music dun, dun. here we are back at ealing again oh i've got a really itchy nose i don't know why excuse me power of crawl syndrome i should have been watching the power of crawl today <clears throat> Yeah, we're about to enter the the next phase of the um, the story with uh, with Palmerdale's entourage bustling their way into the lighthouse, and it's um, of course it takes it up a gear. Oh yeah, actually coming off that train of thought, here's Leela, and she's now looking really bored. <laughs> she's like a little kid who's got bored with her new toy, and of course we're going to pick up on the uh, the that kind of six six sense that she has. 
Sorry, I've real trouble with my S's, I'm afraid. I hate to say. Damn you, slight lisp. But yeah, she's she's picking up on something that is uh, uh, that is moving around, and of course she's right. It's uh, what looks like a green boiled sweet moving along, and it's own volition. Yeah, back to the um, yeah the entourage. Here they are. Um, I think you know. I mean, I, I I don't always mean to go on about classic who versus modern day Doctor Who. But I think where, for me, where it has the edge, I think, is in its great supporting characters. Because I think you need the supporting characters to actually bring the thing to life, uh, bring a story to life. You know, you, 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 it's not, Doctor Who is not just a show that's about the Doctor and his companion, which is which is quite a, um, it's a common thing in modern day Doctor Who. I mean, if you do get a, you know, a supporting character, they usually get about a couple of lines to say, and that's it. And it it just doesn't work. You don't you don't have a story really, you know, without supporting characters. And you can you know bet your bottom dollar in virtually every Doctor Who stuff, apart from the Edge of Destruction. Uh, I'm just trying to think of other stories which don't really have any supporting characters. Off the top of my head, I can't I can't think of any. I really can't. Um, you know, I, I suppose you could say the Ark in Space Part One, but then of course you go on to get you know. Strong supporting characters like Noah and Viren, Libri, and no, not Libri, no, Rogan, no, Libri's rubbish. No, he's, he's just a crap, words of damage impersonator. But you do need the, the right supporting characters, and here you've got very, very strong characters portrayed by, you know, very strong actors, which are great. <laughs> Tom's, Tom's reaction to the Beast of Fair Rock is just. Um, I mean, he's, he's not, you know, I'm, I know there are reports that, you know, he can, he can be quite moody in this, but there are great moments of levity in this, like that, and when he announces that, you know, everybody will be dead in the next morning, which he announces with a great big grin. I mean, there's, I think the humour comes from the fact that it's just so out of place. So who have we got here? We've got Sean Caffrey there as Lord Palmerdale. Um, the book the book doesn't really portray him like that. Um, it portrays him as quite a sort of an older, stouter figure. That's the bit when um, the Doctor came rushing in and um, wound everybody up with coming in too fast, I think. Um, but yeah, Sean Caffrey, is, you know, I mean, he's known to be younger and taller. and I don't know, I think, I think he's probably about mid to late 30s, I would guess. Uh, there's Alan Rowe with some very natty sideburns. Uh, Scored a Doctor Who, actually. He appeared in Moonbase. As, uh, as Evans, he was in the Time Warrior as uh, Doc Cotton's missus. Um, he would again turn up in full circle as I think it's is it Gareth? Is it Gareth? He got knee Fred Logan. No, Logan is George Baker. Um, no, he's uh, yeah. I think I think he's Gareth in full circle. But of course, he plays Skin Sale really well. There's Annette Woolett there as Adelaide, um, who screams quite a lot, but she's still. I, th I think she's still very good, apart from all the, the excess screen. I think she does um, does her best. <laughs> the Doctor says, we haven't been introduced. And then Skintail introduces everyone. And he just looks, the Doctor now just looks completely bored. He's like, yeah, whatever. It's it's just that wonderful alien quality that he brings to the Doctor. You know, all these mood swings, you know, it's kind of... One minute you've got real excitement, you know, kind of... You know, sort of 
he, he is on Planet Doctor the way he keeps gazing off into the distance. You know, his mind is so on other things. Um, some might say he might be Tom getting bored with the script, but um, but I think it actually adds to the to the performance. I, I, I just think it's it's just a brilliant performance. Like there when he when he just said, "Ah, oh, you want to get to London? No chance." <laughs> great, it's great. It's just you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I've said before, Tom Baker is easily my favourite Doctor. Just, you know, for the sheer alien quality that he brings to the, to the part, it's wonderful. I love the way Leela is not even lifting a finger to help Vince stoke the boiler with the coal. She's just like sitting on the, you know, sitting on the makeshift seat and uh, just kind of, you know, whatever. Oh, we're about to see uh, Harker bringing in Ben's mangled corpse. Now, it's it's a funny one because um, Terence, Terence Sticks on the commentary says, you know, what are they looking at? You can't see it. But if you look very carefully, you actually can see it. Um, which will... I'll see... It's, yeah, he's opening the door. Yeah, look, um, from what I can make out, Ben hasn't got a head. It's just kind of like a, a collar. And I'm sure you could see skeletal hands there, which is more than you could see when um, they were looking at um, Buller's mangled corpse in the previous previous story, Towns of Wen Cheyenne, because uh, the Doctor and Lee go and visit Professor Lightfoot uh, in the other mortuary. And all you, all you can see is, you know, the Professor Lightfoot lifts up the sheet and then Doctor and Lee and Lightfoot react to the mangled corpse. Which, uh, surprisingly, you don't see. I mean, you do briefly see it floating de uh, face down in the river. Um, but, yeah, here you can actually see it, which um, which is quite a surprise. <clears throat> and, again, you're going to see it in a minute when they lift up when, the, when Vince comes downstairs. And you can see this kind of bloodied stump, which, uh, yeah, there. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of just washed up his the top part, you know, his torso, I suppose, is sort of bloody stuff, and you can see, you know, quite a lot of blood there, which is which is quite an unusual thing for, you know, the Graham Williams era is generally known to be quite jokey and funny and not so violent, but a lot of stories, there's actually quite a lot of um, grisly violence. I mean, this one, of course, everybody dies. You've got Ben's mangled remains, image of the Fendile, you've got blood again, a very little bit of blood, but it's still blood when uh, Fenneman gets shot. And of course, Style commits suicide. Um, somebody's thrown off a building in Sunmakers. Um, Hade is thrown off the building, a very high building, uh, which is not really kind of, you know, these days everybody would be kind of horrified at that, you know. Um, lots of people get killed in Invisible Enemy. Um, stones of Blood, you know, there's various grisly deaths by stone, including draining by blood. Blood in power of Krog when Thorn gets stabbed with a spear. Even in season 17, which is meant to be quite jokey, you know, you get you know, you get characters aged to death, like Kerensky in City of Death. Um, you get stabbings in Creature from the Pit. You get um, somebody's claw to death in Nightmare of Eden. You get great big claw marks for Sekka. Um, even in Horns of Naimon, you know, the concepts of the, you know, the Naimon draining it. The life out of its victims, you know, it's, it's quite grisly. So yeah, and, and of course, you know, it's it's a lot darker than you think. Probably by today's standards, it's probably um, 
not acceptable. You know, they'd probably say, oh, would somebody think of a child? It's actually, these days, I actually think it's like Mary White House 1, just this kind of, um, you know, like in one, you know, the Whitaker era of Doctor Who, there's nothing really kind of scary to compare with on a level of, you know, like this, you know, it's it's just not scary, which is, which is a shame. I think you do need, you know, some scary deaths because it kind of, it raises the stakes. Uh, there's, there's Harker, played by Rio Fanning. Uh, he didn't appear in Doctor Who, but he would appear in Blake Seven in Children of Owl, um, when he played, oh, what's his name? Daryl, Daryl, the ineffectual second banana to a server lad who gets the weediest kind of death protest ever. <laughs> he goes, no, <laughs> like that. But he's, again, he's really good in this. Very good. Apparently, he was married to um, oh, one of one of the teachers from Grange Hill. I forget who it was, but um, yeah, the teacher was all. I think she taught art, and she was always teaching Danny Kendall. Um, and always kind of sticking up for him before Bronson had his way. Anyway, ah, the days before mobile phones. So you just have one of those old trumpets, ear trumpets, or, you know, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of, well, I, I suppose it's kind of like, an, you know, very, very primitive telephone, isn't it, you know? Yeah, here we go. A bit, bit of class war beginning to creep in here, you know. Ruben says that's the trouble with the gentry, they're always what, running after. You know, the, um, you know, the upper classes are expecting um, Ruben and Vince to, cater to their every whim, you know. Um, even though it was their fault, they um they ended up on the rock on the rocks, you know. All Palmerdale's fault. And this this'll carry on, you know, especially in the kind of like doctor's attitude towards um, you know, for example, Vince and Harker who are kind of more, you know, of uh, a lower class than say Palmerdale Skintail and Adelaide. You know, he'll uh, He'll stick up for them and he'll be nicer to them than, um, you know, say, Palmerdale or Adelaide. He's he's very much on the side of, you know, right and good. And, uh, you know, and he has no time for petty greed or, you know, financial burdens that too much money brings. Although what I wouldn't give for too much money at the moment, I'd, lo I'd love some money. Back at Ealing again. Mystery is deepening. As the doctor hunts for uh, for some dead fish. Yeah, this was um, this was still part of a very very strong Saturday night lineup because um, you have the uh, brand new generation game, Bruce Forsyth, um, introducing that. Um, the previous week you'd had a you know a clip show, but um, this week it would be back to normal. Um, with actually guest starring Colin Baker that week. Uh, I, I might review that one soon, actually, the uh, September edition. Might be a might be a nice time, actually. And of course, you had all the other uh, the old favourites like the uh, Duchess of Duke Street and uh, the two run two two runnies two Ronnies two Runnies. Uh, <laughs> sounds like they got a bit of a um, a bit of a poo problem there, but uh, yeah, the two Ronnies anyway. And of course, Parkinson and all of that, and uh, just a, a classic, classic, iconic lineup. 
Actually, I don't like to use the word iconic. Iconic is such a math word, isn't it, don't you think? So we're getting some great interplay here between, you know, some backstory between Skinsale and Palmerdale. Um, there's, I mean, there's obviously um, some kind of blackmail going on. You know, there's uh, Palmerdale's got something over Skinsale, um, you know, some sort of um, dirty secret involving, you know, money or, you know, sort of some sort of financial corruption, you know, which, which would bring him down if... Uh, um, if uh, if word ever got out, and it would affect his reputation and his standing as a politician. <laughs> but again, great acting from you know from both Sean Ca uh, Sean Caffrey and uh, and Alan Rowe. You know they you know it's really really good character work, and you actually believe in them as characters. I think maybe the only one that doesn't work is maybe Adelaide, who's just a little bit too much of a cliched screamer. But even then, I think she she fulfills her role in the, uh, the narrative perfectly adequately, and she's good for um, to act as a contrast to the much more headstrong Leela, of course. This this is this is great as well. I mean, I, I don't think there's. There's not one scene that doesn't really work in this. Every scene matters. And here, you know, um, excuse me, like in Pyramids of Mars, you know, the Doctor is a lot more moody because he he knows that the stakes are a lot higher, I think. And that really affects, um, you know, kind of, you know, that feeling of darkness and, uh, and terror, claustrophobia that kind of, you know, that really kind of runs through this story like, uh, you know, like No Tomorrow. I can't think of the metaphor to think of darkness. I don't know. I'll think of one. But it's great. And, um, you know, the way the way he confides in Leela, the way she actually says, do not be afraid. <laughs> he says, what do you mean, do not be afraid? It's um, it's great. Sorry, if, you, if you're looking for um, a, do a Doctor Who commentary to uh, in which I criticise it a bit more, <laughs> there are others on the uh, on the website, Plug Plug. Um, which are also an RSS and Spotify and Amazon and iTunes, I think, as well. Um, I think Black Orchid, for example, and uh, bits of the time, although I actually did enjoy the Time Monster a lot more recently when I saw it. And uh, yeah, bits of the underwater, I was, I was trying to think of the uh, Patrick Charlton story, the underwater menus. So Palmerdale is up to a, a little spot of blackmail here. He's trying to bribe Harker. Uh, Rio Fanning comes comes in a bit too early, actually. He comes in, uh, he said, of course I can. What? And then he goes, of course I can. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. I, I can buy it. You know, he's, he's just woken up. You know, he's probably tired. And, you know, I mean, God knows, I, I don't make any sense when I wake up. You know, you get me up at seven in the morning. I'm just like, oh, what, what? I can't, I can't even string a sentence together. Never mind um, fluffing a line. Yeah, Terence Dix just really sketches these characters so well. You know, Harker just outlining uh, Palmerdale's corruption and the way he thinks that everybody can be bought. You know, and you know the way that everything and everyone 
has a price, you know. I mean, God knows we we meet so many of us today. I mean, it's it's a story that's actually quite relevant still in 2022. But the doctor just says, uh, that can wait. You know, he drags him away, says, that can wait. You know, yeah, beat him, beat him up later. <laughs> this, this is wonderful, this bit of delivery. By morning, we might all be dead, he says with a grin. Anyone interested? It's it's just so alien and so in tune with this doctor. It's it's wonderful, wonderful. I mean, it is it is quite a slow burn episode. I'll admit. I mean, it's kind of more about establishing the characters, you know, the new characters from the wreckage of the ship. It's more about kind of musing on what kind of threat that is out there. But in a way that kind of just adds to the claustrophobia of it, I think. You know, you know something is about to go down, and boy, does it go down by the fourth episode. Um, it's kind of musing on, you know, what could be rather than what is, and kind of getting over the getting the uh, the threat over and done with, which um, which is kind of a mistake. You know, you don't really know the end game at this point. You really don't know where it's going to go. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? That sort of thing. It's a similar kind of deal to um, Image of the Fender, actually, because that is quite a slow burner until you know, kind of like the later part, part three, and all the part four, and that kind of goes from a very quiet hum to a kind of you know real kind of big noisy crescendo, the equivalent of. And it's yeah, the same deal here. I think actually, personally for me, I, th I think it works. I think it works really well. Yeah, I, I like the way that Ruben, you know, he's, you know, he's a xenophobic, you know, rather abrasive old kid, but he he clearly likes and he trusts and, you know, he's, he kind of acts as Vince's mentor, if you like. You know, he, he, he kind of takes him under his wing. Um, and, of course, that adds an extra bit of poignancy to what happens to Vince in the early bit of part four. Yeah, again, again, a great performance from Colin Douglas, and also from Joan Abbott. <laughs> oh, that is that is just great. You know, he always was a doctor of the structure. So I will cut out your heart. Yeah, I've I've got a feeling in the book, um, Leader calls him the fat one because it, it describes him as fat. But obviously, I don't think he'd be. Uh, able to get away with that nowadays so she instead she just calls him the cowardly one she she always calls somebody the one or something like that. um so um varying degrees of taste really but uh, that's another story and we're coming into the cliffhanger already um yeah of course i i, I did watch this the first time around um mum and dad have put on a very nice birthday tea um but I had tears streaming down my face because I was afraid that the TV would switch itself on. You know, they very kindly switched it off, and I was wondering, "Oh my God, the TV's going to switch itself on! I'm going to put up, have to put up with the music." And there's me in my bowl cut and my uh, crying into my birthday cake. What sack it I was! I still am really. Oh, here we go. Bye, Ruben. Yeah, Terence Ter Ter Sticks doesn't really think much about Cliffhanger. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the book describes it as a terrifying scream, but it's not the most terrifying I've heard in, in Doctor Who. It sounds more like Ruben's got a bad case of Jiggy Tummy or he's uh, 
He used to stub his toe or something. He goes, well, uh, uh, like that. I don't know. And of course, um, Skin Sale and Adelaide are in a clinch at the end um, for what seems like an eternity. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it adds to the mystery, I think. But um, if you think it's a terrifying scream, then uh, that's completely up to you. But anyway, that is it for part two of Horror Fang Rock. Thank you for listening in. Um, so it's goodbye from me, John Bensalia. Hope to, hope to hear from you soon. Uh, goodbye for now. Bye-bye.